Welcome to the Property Management Mastermind Show with your host, Brad Larson. Brad owns one of the fastest growing property management companies in San Antonio, Texas. This podcast is for property managers by property managers. You'll hear from industry leading professionals on best practices, new ideas, success stories, and lessons learned. This is your opportunity to learn about the latest industry buzz surrounding property management, as well as tips and strategies to improve your business. This show is sponsored by the best home inspection software on the market for property managers. We endorse and use Z-Inspector as our software of choice for our team to document home inspections. We particularly like their 360 degrees camera system that produces amazing views of the interior room. Your clients will love Z-Inspector documented inspections you provide them. Visit www.zinspector.com to learn more. Enterprise Bank and Trust, the bank you all formerly knew as Seacoast Commerce Bank. With the same team, the same benefits, and an expanded and improved product suite. Enterprise Bank and Trust specializes in trust accounts and business banking for property managers. One of their best features is a cash analysis program where they can assist in paying your property management related invoices. Contact Allison at 619-988-6708 to learn more. Welcome everybody to another edition of the Property Management Mastermind Podcast. I'm your host, Brad Larson. And today's guest, this is gonna be a second iteration of Mr. Rob Hahn coming at us. And he has just been a fascinating guy. And I really am gonna enjoy <laughs> this conversation that we're gonna have here. And it's just what it is. It's gonna be a conversation. This is, this is us talking about outlandish things that could have happened or didn't happen or might happen. And I gotta give tribute to Scott Brady. He's the one that introduced me to him. I did have Rob speak at the Property Management Mastermind Conference in 2021 there in Grapevine. Uh, we got the lineup set for 2022. Rob, I'm thinking I'm gonna have to sneak you in the following year to see what other cool stuff you can get in. But, you know, I wanted to pick up, uh, uh, we speak English today, I wanted to pick up the conversation about your predictions, uh, because that was the coolest thing I thought. I, I, I saw some things that I'm still talking about in there, just to some of my peers. It's like, oh, Rob made these seven predictions for 2022, because this ties into me every year doing a goals podcast prediction. I, I do written goals for myself every year like a nerd and I get on this podcast and I talk about my wins and losses from the previous year and my goals for 2022. And I just started to talk, you know, through that because we, here we are in late December of 21, it'll be new year's next week. And I think it's a good time to have this conversation. So I want to give you a few minutes, Rob, to introduce yourself a little bit and then let's jump right into this conversation and have some fun with it. Right on. Thank you, Brad. And uh, it's wonderful to, to be back because uh, I really enjoyed our first time. And uh, definitely agree with you. And uh, shout out to Scott Brady, who I named as one of my seven most interesting people in real estate as well. <laughs> so, uh, and I really do appreciate Scott for connecting us because the conversation we had last time was really, really fun. And I got to tell you, I mean, I know I went and spoke at PMMCon about some of the big trends, but I feel like I took away a lot as well. And my, my only regret is, if you remember, I was really sick that day. You know, I thought I had COVID, that whole thing. So I couldn't spend as much time, you know, with you and the other people. Hopefully that's something we can address. Uh, we can correct in 2022 when you'll be in my hometown of Las Vegas. Yeah, so you definitely have to come by. Definitely have Absolutely. to come by the conference a little bit. Yeah. Uh, we'll have you as an honorary guest if you want to sure. sneak in. Sure. If you want to sneak me into a uh, presentation, that would be easy. It'll be a lot easier than me having to fly anywhere. So that would be sure. something we take offline. Um, and also, you know what? I got to tell you, man, um, what you just told me is probably the best thing I've heard all year. 
that, you know, somebody actually reads my dumb predictions and then, you know, it actually does what it's meant to do, which is, you know, it's like, I make these predictions and we talked about it before the show a little bit. I'm not trying to be correct anymore. I did that earlier. You know, when I first started, I want to be right. Now I realize the, the real purpose behind these things is to stimulate thought. So the fact that you're, you're actually telling me that this is informing your, your real life business plans, dude, that made my day. So thank you for that. <laughs> Welcome. So I'm going to try to paraphrase what you've been doing and correct me if I'm wrong, but you've been making predictions for a number of years. Correct. And on the funny side of that, you'd keep the actual batting. That's record. right. You know, you're, you're batting 385 or whatever, for, <laughs> you know, you make eight or 10 predictions and you That's know, right. only so many of them come, come true, but historically they'd gone down each year right. because I think you are trying to really put out some interesting thought process. And so how long have you been doing these predictions now? I want to say 11 years. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm actually going to try and pull up the, uh, the grading. Uh, I think I've been doing it 11 years and uh, some years I went 04, you know, 0 for 07. Um, and like last year, I think I went three and a half for seven, which is, you know, hall of fame type numbers. Right. So right. Yeah, a lot of those are pretty interesting. I was, I was reading through last year's. Yeah. And so just to give folks some perspective of what we're going to talk about for the 22 predictions, yep. give me one or two that you are really proud of in 2021. So it kind of sets the, the stage sure. for what we want to chat on. All right. So by the way, 2020, I went 0 for 7. 2019, I went 2 for 7. And last year, I went 3 and a half for 7. Um, like I, I'd say, you know, in terms of proud of, so this is what I mean. So for example, one of the things I talked about last year was how the multiple listing service systems will run away from NAR. That was wrong. It was incorrect. But the reason why I'm private is, is that I was starting to talk about how, you know, sort of the disruptions coming from say the department of justice or the FTC are going to make local MLS leadership rightfully look at the relationship with NAR and say, do we want to be within the blast radius when, this, when the government drops the bomb. Uh, again, it didn't happen. But what I do know for a fact, because I do consulting in that space, is they're talking about it. You know, they're thinking about it. Local leaders, uh, MLS CEOs, are at least having conversations about do we want to be so closely linked to NAR, given that the federal government is coming after them. Because that's an example of one where, when I did the prediction, it was just to stimulate thought as to what happens you know, when, when something like this is coming down the pike, People are rational. People are self-interested. They're going to look at, you know, what's, what's the best course of action for me? Uh, so that's an example of 2021. Um, another one that I think uh, I'm a little bit proud of, and I don't know, I won't know until sometime next year whether I was correct or not. I, I said I was correct, which was the first time home buyer numbers will collapse, but that the housing market would boom. Right. So I wrote that at the end of 2020. And I think what we've seen is the housing market has in fact boomed in 2021. I think based on anecdotal evidence from friends of mine who are actually, you know, real estate brokers and agents on the ground, the first time home buyers has collapsed, you know, that they're just not able to afford it anymore. Um, now we won't know for the full year until we see data come out, you know, sometime early next year, but that's an, another example of getting people to think about why <laughs> it's not about whether the prediction is correct or not. But why would we think the first-time home buyer numbers will collapse, but the housing market will still be strong? 
And it most has to do with yeah, inflation and money printing. Interesting conversation there because yep. to give people the Cliff Notes version of what's going on with this lawsuit type stuff yep. on against National Association of Realtors, NER, is they're basically claiming some antitrust is going on. They're, That's right. They're attacking the six, seven percent, you know, air quote standard and yep. air quote commission. Yep. And uh, they're really trying to make that go away because honestly, we're seeing the numbers of these commissions are just just crazy high anymore. Mm-hmm. And you made a very good article about why these commissions are outlandish because of technology. That's what right. used to what used to take a, a you you mentioned in your article where somebody would fly to a commercial client in a yep. jet to get one signature and wet yep. ink. Yep. Now they do it electronically from their yep. mobile phone in ten seconds. So technology has changed the way people are doing business to to include buying and selling homes, yep. which is much easier. So it brings into the the uh, realm of okay, why is everybody still paying this outlandish high commission for something people are doing in a fraction of the time and effort? Mm-hmm. And so that's that's the Cliff Notes version. I probably left out a bunch of things. No, you're exactly right. But we do want. I want to hear your your spin on that. As sure. okay, what does all that mean if sure. the government comes down and says okay, uh, we're stopping all this? What does that mean for the yeah. for the real estate market? Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. So that's actually one of my predictions. Right? Um, is that I, I actually think the prediction is that the FTC will hand down a major ruling next year. Uh, again, guaranteed to be wrong or your money back, <laughs> but, uh, unless you're an actual subscriber, in which case, no money back. But uh, you know, my thought on that was the Department of Justice moved on and it's now in the Federal Trade Commission. The policymakers' fact is it's very clear over the last few years that they think commissions are just too high. So they will come in and do something about that. Uh, I don't think they're going to do anything about that next year. Uh, I'm actually thinking that's more like 2023, maybe 2024 time time frame. But from a business standpoint, means you got to start preparing for it, right? What's underlying it, and that's kind of what we're addressing. What is, some of the things I've been really investigating and thinking about is the impact of technology. And there's a guy, so I can't really be, you know, claim originality to this, but there's a um, there's a guy out there named Jeff Booth who wrote a book called Price of Tomorrow. One of the most important books I think I read in 2021. So I highly encourage everyone go pick up a copy or at least at least Google his name and you know find some YouTube videos uh, where he talks about it. His point is very simple, which is that technology is deflationary, meaning technology tends to make everything cheaper, which is true. I mean, it's just true. Um, you know, but, but back when I was right using typewriters, you know, because I actually am old enough where I remember using typewriters. You have to use paper and use, you know, the ribbons and, you know, those types of things that cost money versus using a word processor, right? Where you don't have those costs. Uh, the e-signature thing is another good example. But across the board, if you just look at our lives, everything is cheaper, right? And the point that he likes to make is, you know, there was a time, and it, again, I, I'm Gen X, so I was alive. I was very much like a grown up looking at, I have to go buy a radio, I have to go buy a phone, I have to go buy a video, you know, a phone message recorder. You know what I mean, there are all these devices I had to buy that are all consolidated now in this thing. And it's for free, right? Like, <laughs> excuse me. Uh, I, I think I'm, the fact that I'm Gen X, I can still show that by saying I still have one of these, right? 
a calculator. One, one of your articles, you had a list, uh, a picture yeah. from a Radio Shack. Yeah. And there was, what, there was uh, six or eight or 10 different devices. And the That's total right. of that in today's dollars was like $5,000 in right. today's dollars. That's right. All that is now in our mobile phone That's for right. $500. For free. For free. Yeah, or I mean, even free. Right. right. You buy the phone and then you get you get all this stuff for free. And then when you think about it, if I would go, go down to Walmart right now and get one of those, you know, pay minute prepaid phone plans, they give me a phone. <laughs> like the mm -hmm. phone itself is free. So, so the point that Jeff Muth makes is, is just profound, which is that technology is deflationary. Mm -hmm. The second point that he makes is technology is growing at an exponential rate. And the problem that we all have, because we're all human beings, is the human mind is very, very, we're not real able to grasp exponential growth, right? And it's just illustrated by that classic chessboard uh, story. So real quick, the story is that whoever invented chess, the king is really pleased. That, okay, I'll give you whatever you want. He says, give me one grain of rice, the first square, and then two grains and double it every square, right? This king looks at the chessboard and says, like, ah, all right, sure, no problem. Until his minister comes to him and says, buy like the 15th square, that's more rice than we have in the entire kingdom, right? And it's one of those things that, we find it very hard to even grasp or imagine, right? And yet that is what's happening with technology. And, you know, when we think about kind of our daily lives, you know, the pace of change that people talk about, you know, yeah, it's just faster and faster. You know, I remember like, okay, to go from, again, say typewriter to word processor, it took a few years. And I feel like I had a time to adjust to that whole thing. Recently, I realized, you know what? I had just gotten used to using Facebook and Twitter when everything moved to Instagram. So I started dabbling Instagram and all of a sudden everyone's on TikTok. So I feel like by the time I get used to any of these things, it'll be the next whatever thing, the metaverse. You know? So the pace of change is just exponential. And I think it's causing change, a lot of disruption. Let's change. Let's relate this to kind of what we do in our industry and yep. how it relates into real estate and property management is, okay, so let's say the FTC comes down and makes a big ruling and then yep. all of a sudden wipe out buyer's agency because yep. the commissions that uh, needed to be paid because the, all of the different factors, you have the MLS, you yep. have, you, know, you can't, you can't put homes on a multiple listing service unless you advertise a certain rate. Otherwise you get blackballed. Yep. Yep. Uh, I mean, just all these outside peer pressures that are going on to keep this uh, facade of an industry propped up. When this does collapse, what does that mean for property management? What does sure. that mean for property managers? What do you think? Sure. So this is one of the reasons why I said uh, I named Scott Brady as my, uh, you know, one of my seven most interesting, because this is one of the things I really took away from PMMCon. Uh, basically, fundamentally, I think property management becomes far more important than it is today, right? far more important. And the reason why I named him is I don't know if real estate brokerages, as we understand them today, could survive without having, whether it's an alliance with a property management company or a property management division, there has to be much more of a horizontal linkage. And this is something I talked about at PMMCon. The interesting thing is that the two uh, sub-industries have dramatically different skill sets, right? Like property managers, as I've learned as well, y'all are far more like operationally focused. You guys are really good at like getting things done, detail-oriented, right? As Scott likes to call it, it's all about turning nickels into dimes. Whereas real estate, it's much more relationship driven. You know, it's uh, six, seven years of uh, doing sphere of influence marketing until that big payday for $30,000 or what have you. Um, 
and it's it's a real difficult thing. If you can bridge those two things is where I think the sort of next generation, next future is. But it's not just that the FTC is going to come in and smash the commissions that's going to make property management more important. The other part, quite frankly, is the fact that I don't, I don't know that we're going to be home ownership society, you know, going into the next decade, which then implies people have to live somewhere, right? And if you just look at some of the home buying, you know, home purchase trends, and I know a lot of folks are going to hear that and go, you're crazy, Rob, you're, you know, you're being a chicken little, that's never going to happen. American dream is alive and well. Yes, that's true, right? I mean, we're not talking about 60, 70% of buyers becoming all investors. But last year, we saw that buyers were maybe 25% of all buyers. And in certain markets, it was way higher than that, right? Uh, And again, there's lots of reasons, and we can get into a lot of those. But when I look at those things, I'm saying, okay, at some point, because nobody wants to answer a phone at three o'clock in the morning, you know what I mean? Again, referring to our mutual friend Scott, I love his phrasing. He's he's just so clever. It's that property manager all about what is it? Toilet tenants and trouble. Mm-hmm. Right? Nobody wants to deal with that. It's not like real estate where it's glamour and it's you know uh, photo shoots with the house and it's driving you know showing people their their potential dream home. It's not. It's none of those things. It's the three o'clock in the morning call. Um, I think property management is going to be much more valuable. As, we, as things go forward. The challenge for the industry, for property management, I think is, and this again, this is something I talked about at Con, you guys are so used to, it's almost like you, it, it, like you're the name of the industry, right? Influence your business model, it's property management. So you guys are all very property focused. It's all this unit, you know, how many doors do you have? And I think obviously that's the way it works. The thing that I'm thinking about going forward is there has to be a bridge to sort of tenant management, people management, right? And this, you know, we talked about that whole life cycle where you start out as a renter, at some point you're going to buy, at some point you might become an investor and then you become a landlord, right? That whole life cycle. And the industry typically doesn't think about the people as much as real estate does, right? So some of those changes that I think would be really cool to see, and I think it's going to happen because of people like Scott who are doing both, who are kind of trying to bridge that world is bringing some of the sphere of influence type concepts into property management and bringing some of those property management discipline into real estate. You see what I mean? Like that hybrid structure. What I think we're going to see a little bit of is, is if does if that commission structure does sort of collapse in a certain way, yeah. we're going to see a lot of those agents shift and want to get into property management. Sure. And They'll want along to. the same lines, you're going to see a lot of the big agencies do that. Yep. And you talked about one of your predictions yep. of several big organizations such as uh, Open Door getting into the management world. Right. So kind of talk to me about that because that's pretty fascinating. If we start thinking sure. of like the big, big companies saying, sure. okay, well, we can't make money in buyer's agency any longer because the commissions have gone all electronic, right? Sure. All, uh, the, going, you know, transaction-based. The specific rec- the prediction I made was that Realogy would get into property management. And, you know, I could have used any company, right, quite frankly, any brokerage. But I thought Realogy only because, well, number one, I started my career there. And number two, uh, for people who might be familiar or maybe not be familiar, Realogy's entire business model is premised upon this notion of the value circle. Like, it's on their website. They talk about it. And the way they built it is they okay, we have brokerage, which then leads to franchise, right? Which then leads to mortgage, which then leads to title, 
which generates leads and it's this virtuous value circle. So I thought property management fits right in there. Right? It does. If, and it should be almost in the epicenter. Correct. Think about it. It really should be. So I just thought, you know, Realogy stock price has been kind of uh, wallowing. You know, they've not been uh, overperforming the market, shall we say. And a lot of it is because investors look at Realogy and they see a company that's not growing that fast, that has enormous commission pressure and has profitability issues. So bringing something like property management into that mix, I think really Im- improves their, their narrative, their story. Um, again, because one of the problems is, yeah, a lot of agents might want to switch to property management, but you know, and I know most of them can't do property management, <laughs> that it's like their personality is not suited to that. You know, they're much more about, you know, uh, c- client development and sphere of influence and, you know, making sure that they're, uh, the people they run into know that they sell, you know what I mean? It's, it's not, I'm going to sit at my, at my desk and, you know, answer phone calls. Do you know what I'm saying? It's not that. So I think most of them will want to transition. I think most of them will fail to transition because it's just not the same business. The political side, we have to bring up a little bit on some of this because almost everything that we talk about in what we do, it has a political slant or political influence at some point. And so politically on the side of, okay, if the agents are going to flood into the property management market, uh, we're going to want some sort of like property management license, some Correct. sort of like, you know, more more of a funnel filter to keep out the weak agents because they're yeah. just hurting consumers. Sure. Our consumers are being the owners and the tenants. So there's sure. a political slant there. Uh, in certain states, it's going to be very difficult. And others, it's going to be like, uh, oh, they're yeah. going to stroke laws quicker than anything. Yeah. That takes me down to your your last prediction, which I thought was <laughs> fascinating. Number seven yeah. on your prediction front was we had a, I had a whole big conversation about iBuyers in a previous podcast, and I've kind of gotten somewhat familiar with them. But your take on that was that certain municipalities and or even the federal government are going mm-hmm. to crack down on these institutional buyers. Yep. Because of them locking out the first-time home buyers That's who right. have a voting voice with That's right. certain parties. That's I right. mean, it, it does. I mean, the tail does not wag the dog in this situation. It nope. does make total sense when you think about it. I want you to elaborate on it because I think it's fascinating. Sure. Again, keep in mind my predictions are are not meant to be correct. My predictions are meant to stimulate thought, right, and get people thinking about them. So the prediction essentially is that there will be a federal ban an institutional investment into single family residential, right? Specifically SFRs. Why? Because that's the political hot potato, right? And, you know, the, the thinking behind it is all of this has to do with inflation. All of this has to affect, you know, and I think I made this point at the conference. I don't believe that housing prices have gone up. I believe that the dollar has been devalued, which is a totally different thing. So, because it's about dollar devaluation rather than home prices going up because of supply and demand, which is what most you know, mainstream economists believe. The fact that we haven't seen wage growth at the same rate of inflation growth uh, means that fewer and fewer people are going to be able to buy homes. Okay, that's fine and dandy. The issue is that the millennial, home, the millennial generation, which is, by the way, they're not kids anymore, right? The oldest millennials are 40. They have families. I think the last time I saw a millennial home ownership rate was something like 46%, whereas Gen X and boomers like 65% plus. So they're lagging way behind. Why? Because they don't, they don't have the money. You know, they came into the job market at a, during the gro- uh, global financial crisis. It just sucks for them, right? And then after COVID, we've just printed trillions of dollars. So now we have 
asset prices, it's what we essentially have is an asset price bubble. Okay. The problem for a politician is I want to get reelected. Housing will absolutely be a major issue. We know already, because if you listen to any sort of news, any sort of coverage, inflation is a huge, huge issue for the Biden administration, for, you know, local politicians, for everybody. It just is a giant problem. Um, It's a really difficult problem to solve. An easier problem to solve if I'm running for office, like say next year, because we are talking about congressional midterms, is to come out and say, I'm doing something for you. What are you going to do? Right? And there are only certain things that you can do. I fully expect that we're going to see rent control being proposed. I fully expect that. Um, maybe at the federal level, certainly at the state and local levels. Um, I don't know if we're going to see it real strong in a state like Texas, but California, <laughs> New York, New Jersey, you know, any of the blue states, I absolutely expect that we're going to see rent control legislation being proposed and seriously debated and potentially passed. At the federal level, it's much harder. At the federal level, I think the easier thing to do is to go after the big institutions, the Wall Street landlords, right? Because my thinking on it is there are millions of landlords, you know, individuals, families, right? Who just, like, I'm a landlord, right? I, I have a vacation property that I rent out to short-term rentals on because when I'm not there, why not, right? Um, <clears throat> there are tons of millennials who are sort of in that upper 10% who've realized, like, I need to invest in property. You know, there are, like, if you go to bigger pockets, for, exa- for example, some of the specific advice for if you're 23 is save a- as much money as you can, eat ramen, don't buy nice cars, and buy a duplex, right? So that you can live in one and then rent out the other and then lever yourself up in the property. It's really important. So you can't really go after investors, right? That's, that's difficult politically. But going after BlackRock, going after Blackstone, going after Invitation Homes, going after Tricon, that's easy. Right? You just, you know, they're Wall Street. They're big. They're, they're billionaires. Right? And I think that's what we're going to see. Um, I think that's probably the least painful of the regulatory legislative options. Because like I said, what I really expect is 2022, we're going to see rent control. You know? that, that's a political thing that it can do because it's, I mean, you think about it, if you're just, you're so, you're, your only goal as a politician is to get elected or reelected. That's, right. that's, that's right. all they want. That's all. And so want. what they're doing is they're going after the low hanging fruit. Mm-hmm. And so they, they pander to their base and they say, we're going to, to fix rent. We're going to stop the big guy from coming right. in and buying homes to that's lock right. you out of your own right. American dream. And people will buy that and vote for them. And then yep. they'll pass some abstract law and the, the big, billionaire guys they'll just work around it they'll form 20 shell companies instead of one big giant company that's right so it's it's just a it's just political gobble goo you know kabuki theater but that's that's kind of what we're going to start seeing but you're the fact of uh, you know i want you to talk about this a little bit further and make sure the point hammers home is that the prices of homes aren't necessarily actually going up I don't it's the value of the dollar going down because yeah. it ties into wages. And I think that right. point shouldn't be over, shouldn't be skipped over because that kind of does justify it if you, if you look at it. Go ahead. Yeah. So I think, and again, this is not something that I can take some originality on because I'm just listening to and reading people who are way smarter about the monetary system and the, and the central bank policies and all of that. But fact of the matter is, since the start of COVID, by some estimates, we printed 40% of all US dollars in existence since the start of COVID, since 2020. And if you look at the Fed balance sheet, it looks like this, right? Well, that's gonna have an impact, right? I mean, you know, it's, it's just going to have an impact. 
at the same time, it's not like wages have done this. In fact, if anything, we've, you know, I mean, because of the lockdowns, you know, unemployment went through the roof and we shut down all sorts of companies. Something like a third of small business have completely closed permanently. You know, it's, it's been an economic disaster. All right. The way that they've compensated for that, obviously, is the money printing and then sending out checks to people, the STEMI checks, the PPP loans. <clears throat> and maybe those are things that they had to do. I, I mean, I guess I'm, it's, I'm not sitting here trying to blame, you know, or that's not the point. The point is that they've, did, they've done this. The impact of it is asset prices across the board have gone through the roof. Why? Well, because it's not about consumer products. It's not about food. It's not about, you know, those things yet that's coming. It's really been about, I have all this money. What am I going to do with it? Well, I have to go buy assets that's going to sort of perform and pay me for owning it. Real estate is number one asset category. And we've seen that. 2020 and 2021, I think we've seen roughly on average somewhere between 17 and 25% year over year home price appreciation, depending on the market. That's not a good, yeah, that's, that's crazy, right? Yeah. I mean, you're in San Antonio, I believe, and you and I were talking about how, you know, earlier or like earlier this year, last year, you're just seeing these prices that are just, you know, home that was worth two hundred thousand dollars two years ago. Somebody goes in and says, "Okay, I'll, I'll offer three hundred cash," and they lose because somebody else came in with four hundred. I mean, it's you know, it's ridiculous. Right? Yeah, and that's that's the market locally has always been a turtle, like very slow right. and steady. But all of a right. sudden, they've been taking jackrabbit leaps. Right. Which to make a point, you know, for example, why is the first time home buyer having such a hard time? Well, the first time home buyer, they're using VA and FHA loans. That's right. And so they're competing against conventional and or cash buyers. That's right. And as a listing agent, you know, helping one of my big investors sell 12 right. or 13 of his homes because the big sell off, right? Even right. one of my biggest investors sold everything is in doing that. I was helping him list these homes and sell them. We would get four, five, six offers in in a, a couple days, right? And then it's just a, a spreadsheet. Okay, right. well, we're not going to even look at the FHA offer, right? Right, and we're going to go straight to the conventional. Oh, but here's a cash one. That's you right. Know, cash is king. That's right. And so that's why these first-time home buyers are losing because right. the type of loan products that they're forced to sort of get. I think someone's going to come along someday and uh, give them in a. They're, they're going to do lending in a different way. Yeah. They're going to write somebody a check in the background for yep. $300,000, $400,000. All of a sudden now they're going to turn into a cash buyer. Yep. They're going to swear off, they're going to they're going to swear their firstborn children, they're going to, yep. you know, mortgage their kidneys. I mean, they're going to <laughs> they're, they're going to do, do whatever they, they can, can yeah. to to buy a home yep. and they're going to be doing it and they want to be doing it either as a straight conventional or a cash buyer and they're going to require 40 or 50 or $100,000 in cash to do that, which yep. most people under 30 are never going to have that. Yeah, no, and it, we're already seeing that, right? So the phenomenon of power buyers. So I've been following the iBuyer space since 2014 when Open Door launched. And I wrote a giant paper about them in 2019. One of the things I pointed out was one of the most interesting models was at the time, I called it the knock model because knock out of Atlanta was sort of the pioneer, one of the pioneers behind it. It's also Fly Homes, Ribbon. You know, there are a bunch of the companies that are now being called power buyers. And it's exactly that model. We go to them and say, look, I want to buy this house over here. And they do a credit check. They say, okay, you have to get a mortgage through us. Once you do, we're going to pay cash for that house. And they immediately transfer it to you, right? So every buyer turns to a cash buyer at that point. No, that is absolutely going to take off in 2022 for all the reasons what you mentioned. The challenge is the down payment. Mm -hmm. The challenge is the down payment. Because if you're 30 years old today, you're newlywed, you know, maybe, and maybe you have a good job. 
right? You know, like maybe you have good stable salary jobs, like you're a cop and your wife's a teacher, municipal jobs, you know, they're like real solid. Coming up with that $100,000 down payment is going to be, that's the challenge. So what I suspect we're going to find companies that are going to come forth and say, we'll somehow help you finance the down payment as well, right? Um, we'll see. But you're right. I think, I, I, I really think this is one of the biggest trends and I don't see it stopping. Like yeah, there, are number, that, yeah, but- there are a number of people who think 2022 home price will moderate. It's, there are a bunch of people who are predicting housing bubbles. I just don't see it because I don't think what we have is a housing bubble I think what we have is a currency devaluation. And the yeah. fact that first-time home buyers and the average regular working folks, you know, that they don't, they didn't see their currency go, you know what I mean? They, they just didn't see it. Whereas if I'm an investor, I saw my assets go up 20, 25, 30%. Yeah. So of course I'm gonna have to cash to do whatever the hell I want. My, you know, my buying power went up. If I'm a working family, my buying power didn't. So when it comes to buying houses, it's just going to be out of reach for, I think, a lot of folks, which then turns to the political issue and so on. The Having power said all buyer of that. thing is, uh, is pretty interesting. So the power buyer stuff, I, yep. we should talk through that because we want to explain to the audience a little bit more of what that is. Sure. I'll try to give you my cliff notes, you know, understanding yeah, yeah. of it. But it's essentially where a uh, third party is going to give you whatever cash you need yep. to make a cash offer on a property. Then they turn around and mortgage it straight to you, which I think is genius because it is solving the problem. Now, how does that apply in real person? Well, it's great for first time home buyers. It's really good for people that need to sell and then buy another property. Cause think of this. So let's say you and I, Rob, we want to move up, right? Whatever move up definition you is, that is, well, you have to sell your current home, find another home to live in and then buy or build your next home, which is a huge giant pain in the butt. When most people just be like, heck with it. I'm not going to challenge this market and do that. I'm just going to you know, sit here. So that's less in the sales pipeline that is creating opportunities for the real estate agents and the mortgage lenders. Mm-hmm. So they're creating these, these solving problems and packaged loans in a different way. I mean, you've heard of the old uh, bridge loan. Well, this that's is just, ex- a, yep. it's just a different type of a bridge loan. So I'm that's probably exactly missing right. out 100 points on these big power buyers. Uh, tell me more about what you understand. No, you, no I think you nailed it exactly right. And when Knock came out in my paper that I discussed, I literally called there are two models of iBuyers. And you know, there's the Zillow open door model, which I call the market maker model, where the company goes in, they will buy the home from the seller, and then they'll fix it up, and then they'll try and you know find a buyer to buy it. Right? To me, that's a market maker. You buy at one price, you sell at a different price. The other one was exactly is the knock fly homes ribbon model, which is the power buyer, which is exactly right. it's the bridge loan, and I called it that. I called it the bridge loan model. So really, and again, I bet different companies have different processes. At a high level, it's very simple. Say I own a home, um, and typically it's it's somebody who already owns. It's typically not available to first-time home buyers. Typically, although I know they're changing that. But the idea is, okay, I'm gonna go. I want to buy this house. First, I'm gonna pre-qualify for that mortgage, not just pre-qualify, like pre-approve. You know, go through the full underwriting process, so that the company knows, okay, you are absolutely qualified. And the minute you sign on the dotted line, you're going to get five hundred thousand dollars, right? Uh, okay, we're going to front you that $500,000. We're going to go buy that house in cash, you know, or whatever the amount is. And then you're going to immediately flip and get the mortgage. The challenge is again, the down payment. You still have to qualify for that traditional mortgage, right? And all that the company, the power buyers are doing is bridging that, that period, 30, 60, 90 days, 
right? In between the the contracts for sale and for purchase and the loan closing. It's, it's a pretty straightforward model. It makes you wonder if it's not a housing supply, if it's not a capital supply mm-hmm. issue, mm-hmm. right? So this is these, these big power buyers are sort of solving the capital yeah. allocation problem more yeah. than the home front. Cause we know there's plenty of homes potentially yeah. for, for, for purchase and for sale. I mean, there isn't a housing shortage necessarily. I mean, there, you could argue that, but yeah. I mean, if you pull, pull up the MLS, there's, you know, a thousand homes available right now that you, you yeah. could go buy any one of those. Sure. Um, so it's not necessarily a housing shortage. It's a capital shortage. What do you I think? think it's a capital shortage, but again, it's all related. And this is what makes it so hard to figure out. Right. And the big, the big disruption that happened was we printed 40% of all, like $4 trillion. Okay. That's the big disruption. We had COVID happen and all the lockdowns. That's the big disruption. Thing is, even before any of that, so in 2019, it's not like we were sitting around saying, wow, it's a buyer's market in 2019, right? It was still a very competitive, heavy seller's market, all of those things. As far as, you know, is there a supply shortage? Probably in some, in some sense, right? Because I'm not entirely sold on it, but again, NAR, you know, mainstream economists say we haven't built enough housing for 10 years. I don't know if that's true. I mean, I, I just don't. Um, it's possible that in, in certain localities, we have real shortages. Like if I wanted to live in San Francisco, yeah, I'm sure there's a housing shortage. If I wanted to live in New York city, I'm sure there's a housing shortage because there is, um, you know, the demand for wanting to live there relative to supply of housing is, is high, but it evens up because, you know, home prices in those markets are insane, right? One and a half million dollars average. Why? It's those types of things. So it's it's all interconnected, right? If I want, if if even if you're a 30 year old, you know, first time home buyer, <clears throat> and you didn't care where you lived, and you didn't really care about the the quality of the home, the actual property, you could go buy something for two hundred fifty thousand dollars right now. I mean, you'll be in the middle of I don't know, you know, nowhere, right, with very few services, and three and a half hours away from the nearest uh, airport, but you could buy a home if that's really all you wanted to do. Um, and that's an interesting tid- tidbit because I think the <clears throat> availability of high-speed internet yeah. is making that more possible. Of course. I mean, you know, you, you talk about people moving to Montana, for example. I, you yep. know, I, I just went golfing with a guy who's moving here from Montana yep. to tech, South Texas, and his whole thing is Montana's ruined. I yep. mean, it's, it's basically ruined by everybody from the West Coast moving mm-hmm. there and inflicting that state with everything that they're doing to it. Uh, right. To include overpopulation, do what, yep. uh, whatever else. So that, that's a whole nother whole other topic. Front. Yeah. But I want to switch gears and play a fun little game. So I'm sure. going to give you one word, okay. and I want to drop that word. I want you to just tell me everything you know about that that interesting concept that's going on and what's going on in the news with that particular one word. And here we go. Sure. You ready? Yeah, ready. Imagine a world where the phone doesn't ring but tenant leads still get pre-qualified and scheduled. Where in-person showings get coordinated automatically in real time, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Where occupants and owners are automatically notified of showings and leasing reports. Or imagine, no one has to show your rentals and they get leased faster than ever, safely and securely. That's the world of Tenant Turner, Come learn more about our beautiful scheduling software and world-class customer support. Call us, 888-976-4638. 
or visit www.tenantturner.com. Zillow. <laughs> oh, oh boy. Um, Zillow was much in the news last year. Let's just put it that way. Um, I think I've written about them. I, and I've been following Zillow for a real long time. I know a lot of the people there. Um, you know, my wife used to work for Zillow for, for all, all that matter. Um, she's no longer with them as of May of last year. So we could be a little bit freer about, uh, she especially could be a little freer about talking about them. Um, they're still really important. You know what I mean? They're still one of the dominant, most important technology companies. But the fact that they got out of the iBuying business or the market-making business, I think is a profound pivot. It's a giant shift. And the thing that I'm trying to figure out is what are they going to do next, right? So the, the, the sh- shortest Reader's Digest version is Zillow was founded as an online auction website. This is something that pe- most people don't know. Like Rich Barton, Lloyd Frank, the two founders, when they first started Zillow, their idea was let's use the power of the internet so that people can go and buy houses like they would on eBay, you know, just open auction, right? Um, they quickly realized that wasn't going to work, so they changed and pivoted to we're just going to be a big portal, aggregate all the buyer traffic, and then sell leads to real estate agents. And they've built a billion-dollar business, you know, multi-billion-dollar business out of that. Um, open Door comes out, does the market-making eye-buying thing. Rich Barton looks at it and goes, oh, my God, this changed the world. I want to... In on this. So he came back as CEO um, and really took Zillow down that road for a good two, three years. And then last year, um, as it turns out, there's, there were some real operational problems you know, over there. So they lost something like $750 million, right? And just said, okay, too much risk, we're out, right? Um, I think there's a lot more to that story than just, oh, it's too risky and, you know, but that's a whole long, uh, hour-long debate and conversation on that. So long story short, they're out of the iBuying game. They still have a billion-dollar-a-year uh, portal advertising business. And the question becomes, what do they do next? Right? What do they do next? Because Wall Street punished them you know, when, they, when they dropped that. I mean, they lost something like two-thirds of their value, right? obviously they're not going to be happy with it. They're going to try try and come back. What could they possibly do? Right. What are the areas where they're going to do? So this is relevant for us. Okay. What does it mean when they bail out? I mean, is that, is that something we should all be like digging a bunker in our backyard? No, I don't think so. I don't think that, but one thing I would think about, and this is really relevant to you and your audience is there's no question that Zillow is smart enough to know that renting and property management is going to be a really, really important thing going forward. Because again, I'm not the only one who thinks renter nation is on its way. Everyone thinks that, unless you know, absent major legislation, absent something that's going to make create even more problems, right? Um, so I expect that they're going, we're going to see a big push from them, say next year uh, into maybe 2023, as to they need to do something more on the property management side. They need to do something more on the rental side. And here's the thing that brings them directly into conflict with all of you guys as well as CoStar, which is their main rival right now. Um, Very. And you know what? Every single real estate agent out there for the last 20 years yeah. finally said when that happened, right? With Zillow. Yeah. They said a few words, choice yeah. with a couple of expletives. Right. 
I told you effing so, yeah, right? Yeah. That's exactly yeah. what we're all saying yeah. because we're so sick of the Zestimates sure. kicking our butt. Sure. And so that aside, that's all fun and games, but the reality of what that's going on is a little off-putting. It's a little concerning because mm-hmm. now they're going to look at, hey, what other industries can we invade mm-hmm. that really could affect property managers? So I bring of it course. up because, you know, part of it's funny because, you know, hey, we told you so, ha, ha, ha. Mm-hmm. But the other part is like, oh, shit. Mm-hmm. Now they're going to shift and look at what other industries they can basically take over, like they took over a lot of sure. what they did in the past. So what, what you mentioned there is, is a little scary, and uh, the insight is interesting. Yeah, and the only thing I'll mention about that, though, is I think this is one of real estate industries on the sales side of things. I think this is one of, their, one of the big mistakes that they made, which is that they were trying to defend what they had instead of seeing the opportunity you know, on the other side. In other words, there's a little too much fear and little not enough greed when it comes to things like Zillow. Because when Zillow came out 10 years ago, so just a quick story. I remember when Zillow first came out, I was working at Realogy at the time. And I remember going to my boss and I was the commercial side. So, you know, I didn't have that much influence. But I remember going to my boss, I remember telling her, hey, you know what? We should probably go tell Richard Smith, who was the, you know, the CEO at the time. We should probably buy these guys because we're Realogy at the time. And Zillow was a startup. But like this, you know, and coming out of, out of commercial, well, we only had LoopNet and CoStar. I'm seeing Zillow and Trulia and these guys going, that right there is going to be a major thing. We should like invest in them. We should give them all our data and just say, give us 30% of your company right? or just buy them out. Right? I remember saying that. Um, nobody took me seriously. I'm some 29-year-old you know, <laughs> junior. Like I'm a nobody. Um, but I think about that a lot. If we had been a little bit greedier and a little less fearful, Right. Because one of the things that it's done is it's made the, the sales side of the industry kind of retrench and talk a lot about how do we defend ourselves against Zillow. Right. Without thinking about what makes Zillow so dangerous, what makes Zillow such a threat. Right. And it's not simply because they have a bunch of smart tech guys, it's because they're delivering something that the consumer wanted that we, the industry, were not providing. So I feel the same way on the property management side. If it's a threat, what's the threat, right? Is it simply that consumers go there to find the rental property? Okay. Why, you know what I mean? Like, is that game over? Like you could almost argue that it, to build a giant website with, you know, hundreds of millions of unique visitors, the, the time might be to pass that. What's the next thing? All right. What's the next thing they're going to go after? What do you think? I mean, do you have any predictions there? I don't have any predictions there, but I, so let's reference back to what we kind of started this conversation with, which is that technology is deflationary. Okay. Uh, so they're going to influence somehow, some way, just by providing a good technological platform. Right. And I think it's just, it's just, and again, if it's not them, then it'll be CoStar. If it's not CoStar, it'll be some startup. If it's not, some, you know what I mean? It'll be somebody that's coming along and saying, look, we have this technology. What that allows us to do is offer whatever services at lower cost. And somebody's going to see that and jump on it. As an example, um, so let's try and relate this directly to property management. One of the biggest issues, as I understand it, because you're the expert, is you have to have people actually manage the property. Like you have to have a call center, right? Like Scott talks about he has a you know, a call center in Mexico, in the Philippines. You have these VAs. First of all, the point that I would make there is, why are they in the Philippines or Mexico? Because they're cheaper, Right. 
But technology enabled that without voice over IP. Like, could you imagine if you had to make international phone calls and pay for that from back in the 90s? It would never happen. You, it, 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 but because we have things like voice over IP, you have communication that's essentially free, right? You pay 30 bucks a month or whatever to Zoom and unlimited phone calls, unlimited video, right? That's what makes it possible. Okay. The next step might be if we just continue down that road, maybe you have some technology that comes out that says, okay, one remote VA can now handle twice as many properties. Right? What does that do to your fees? What does that do to your, right? And again, it's not Zillow or CoStar coming in and squeezing you. It's some entrepreneur, some other property manager goes, you know what? If I use the system, I can offer the same level of service at half the cost, which means I can grow market share. Or I can offer a much better service at the same cost, which lets me grow market share, which means that the rest of y'all have to jump in and say, okay, we got to do the same thing, right? Because it's competitive. Imagine something like AI. So now you don't even have, you know, call centers in the Philippines. It's just a, you know, something that sounds like Siri coming off of Amazon that you pay $19.99 for, and it handles all of your phone calls. Like, what does that do to your price structure? It's things like that we have to think about. Right. It does change the price structure because we've been talking about this for years and years. Okay, so now if you can execute the service at a lot less expensive cost, yep. why would you not want to reduce your rates to gain more market share? Right. Um, you know, if you can make, I don't know, for fun, let's say $50 a unit in profit per month. Mm-hmm. Well, why wouldn't you want to manage 100 billion you know, units, right? right? If you right. can figure out how to take it to scale. Right. And how do you do that? You potentially lower your management fees to become the most attractive property management company in the region by having really right. cheap fees. That's and they right. talk about this for years in real estate. Like they said, you know, if you, great example is actual title companies. Yep. I mean, the title companies for a long time, they were, you know, charged whatever they want. They could get away with whatever they want. They were, you know, bribing people. They were paying people. Mm-hmm. And, and then they would charge these outrageous fees at closing and yep. people would pay it. And then they have yep. the title policy, which is yep. mandated by the state. So now what I'm trying to make a point is we're seeing those fees from the title companies just decrease, 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 because what yep. they really want is the title policy, which yep. is mandated by the state on a certain pricing level. Yep. So I think we're going to see some of that inflict its way into the management world. And I hate to use the term, but commission compression could be a real thing for management companies. It, it absolutely could. And I think it's already happening. It's just going to accelerate more and more. So the question then becomes this from my standpoint, and I've, I've, cause I've been telling this, the real estate sales side, forever, which is what is the value that you bring to the table? Because it's not, I'm not a doomer, actually. You know, I'm not black-pilled. I'm not sitting here like, you know what? At some point, the AI and robots are all going to take over and we're all going to be, you know, batteries plugged in for, for our machine overlords. You know, that's not, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is we're valuable. Human beings have value. Like we, we have certain things that we're bringing that is of real value. And the question is, what is that value? For a real estate agent, I can say this. Opening the door is not value. Do you know what I mean? Like it used to be the buyer agents like, oh, you know, let me op- I, I have the lockbox. I have the key. So therefore you have to call me and pay me so I can open the door and do home tours for you. Like, I don't think that's the value. Like nobody, you know, that's not where it's at. However, providing advice to somebody, like say I'm moving to San Antonio, you know, I don't know anything about the city. I, I know Riverwalk, that's it. Somebody being able to sit me down, okay, look, here are the areas you want to live, given your, so I, that's the sort of thing that I think machines have a much harder time doing. Right? So in a similar way, I don't think 
anybody's going to like self-manage better or more just because technology is available because it's still annoying to get that phone call. <laughs> like that's probably okay. something where human beings have a real edge over even Google voice or what have you, right? Because there's judgment, right? Right. It just it's, just, it's, it's an insulated industry by the mom and pop, super hyper local service. Right. It's a service-based thing. So right. I do want to switch gears a little bit. And this has really gotten me talking here in the last couple of days yeah. by reading this is your number two prediction saying, and this is a political rant. This is a political yep. you know, <laughs> side tangent. And I, I'm not going to, you know, you guys figure out where I, I lean on this one being a Texan, but the, your prediction was that it made a ton of sense, an explicitly conservative real estate brand. And right. you talk about this in parallel to what Black Rifle Coffee has done. Right. And so, and I'm talking, we were talking about this about dinner last night. Yeah. I mean, yeah. We were talking about this and all these different things like, okay, if you're just, if you're selling a commodity, here I am, I have a bottle of water That's in right. my hand, Aquafina. That's if right. you're selling a commodity, why not call this super hyper conservative water That's or, right. super, or super hyper uh, liberal water or whatever right. term you want to, you know, you're tying a political spin to that commodity and real estate brand, and I hate to use the term commodity, but it's sort of kind of in that realm. Yeah. You could argue that it's a service base. It's kind of the same service throughout the board, but putting a political spin on that and picking a side like Black Rifle Coffee did and watching mm -hmm. that take off. Interesting yeah. prediction. Uh, yeah. Elaborate on that for me. Sure. I mean, this is it's one of the like unfortunate predictions, right? It's one of the things I hate having to make, but we got to talk about it, which is we are going through probably the most divided that the country's ever been, right? Okay. The problem is that in the midst of this division, what, we're, what we've seen over the last few years is that the corporations are very much clearly on one side of that, right? And in our industry, I think we're seeing it. There's a big lawsuit happening right now up in Montana, in Missoula, um, because there's a pastor who's being brought up on ethics charges because he pulled his church out of a food bank program because it turned out that the food bank program was including uh, materials from the uh, gay and lesbian uh, movements in their free lunches. And so we don't, we don't want any part of it. So he's being brought up on ethics charges. Different people could disagree, different people could whatever, but fact is his company, Windermere, came out and essentially condemned him uh, for this donated money to the food bank, donated money to the uh, national LGBTQ plus real estate alliance, I think, and said this, you know, we, we believe, you know, differently than this guy does. And when I started looking at it, it's okay, look, it's Black Rifle Coffee, uh, Altered State, you know, there are a bunch of these smaller startups now that are coming out saying, you know what, we think that there's, that some of the 75 million people that voted for Trump are probably going to want to take a look at our, our products simply because we take this political stance, right? We've seen it be successful, like you said, with Black Raffle Coffee, 511 Tactical, you know, uh, Grunt Style. I mean, when I look at these things, they're selling T-shirts, they're selling jeans. There's nothing political about T-shirts and jeans, and yet there is. Why? Because Levi has taken a stance, because Nike has taken a stance. And a lot of folks are just like, wait a minute, I don't want to support these woke companies with my money. I just felt like it was, when I looked around in real estate, I didn't see an explicitly conservative brand, but I could easily see one popping up in Texas, in Alabama, you know, in the SEC states. I could easily see one popping up in Tennessee and go to agents and saying, listen, 
why are you with Century 21? Why are you with Coldwell Banker? Why are you with these sort of either kind of left-leaning or, quote, neutral brands when you can be down with, I don't know, the Freedom Realtor Party? or You know, you know what I mean? Like, you could easily see some of these brands come up, right? Even the uh, ones you mentioned, I mean, you specifically cited examples of them giving money or donating certain right. situations to... Uh, basically political affiliations. Now, you yeah. can pick a left or right of that. I'm, I don't want to right. talk about that junk here, but you know they're, they're donating to a certain political affiliation. Well, that's taking a stance politically. It is. When you give a certain you know, organization that's on the fringe, what, <laughs> left or right, you decide right. if they're on the fringe and you're giving them money, so you're basically supporting that, right? right? And so what you're saying is people are going to say, all right, we're going to embrace the other side of that. And that could be MSNBC on the left, or that could be Correct. Black Rifle Correct. Coffee right. on the right. Correct. You know, it, could, it could be either or, and people are going to find a way to create more of a real estate franchise brand that embraces that, again, those that yeah. a certain uh, left or right of the, yeah. the pendulum. And yeah. I thought that was pretty interesting because you really start to think about, okay, what point of difference would I have in the market? Now, I'm not going to do this at, at RentWorks in San Antonio. I'm not going to, you know, yeah. I don't need to. I, I can't. Right. It's too small. Right. But Again, if I was to go out and say, I'm going to start selling, I'm showing to the camera, a yeah. bottle of water. Well, okay, if I want to sell lots of bottles of water, I'm going to put yeah. all kinds of cool you know, logos on there that affiliate me with a left or right and yeah. see what happens. Yeah. Right? At least it's a difference. Yeah. I mean, I, I, just, I just think, here's the interesting thing. I was talking to another broker friend of mine, and he was mentioning at the local level, there are lots of independents who are explicitly Christian, who are explicitly conservative. Like you go on their website, they'll say stuff like, look, I'm a realtor in so-and-so place, and I, I do this because of, I'm following Christ's word and it's my, you know, like they're explicitly Christian, but at a national or at a regional level, there isn't one. I'm just looking at it saying, look, somebody's going to take advantage of this. Somebody's going to come along and go, you know what? I'm going to go license grunt style. I'm going to go license devil dog. I'm going to go license, I don't know. You know what I mean? Any of the sort of right, explicitly conservative brands, um, what about, uh, what's his name? Um, Daily Wire, you know, some of these guys, or maybe you go literally license Trump's name. So we're, we're going to open the um, MAGA, you know, mm-hmm. brokerage, MAGA property management, knowing, look, I'm going to lose half the audience. Right. You know, I'm just going to lose half of that. Like, I, I know that. But you know what? I'm going to get the other half. And they're going to be much more loyal to me and my brand because I'm taking this stance. And from a business standpoint, that's the thing. That's, I do want to make that clear. I'm not, you know, frankly, like my, polit- my personal views don't really matter. I'm just looking at it from a business standpoint. If I'm just undifferentiated, I'm another, you know, whatever, your local expert realty. Um, you know, if I'm one of those and I want to have an edge, why wouldn't I say, you know what, given where I live, like you're in San Antonio, it's a big military town. Somebody came out and said, we're a, we're a devil dog property management, we cater to the military lifestyle, we're veteran owned. You're telling me that you would have some people go, yeah, I want to talk to you guys. Of course you would. It's, it's a thing. It's an actual thing. Of course you would. Um, seeing that on a national brand is the fascinating part Correct. because we have not. Even, even you mentioned Gary Keller with Keller Williams that yeah. is founded in Austin and they, they're housed in Austin. Uh, you know, they're only 90 minutes from here, but they're, yeah. they're not even that that politically affiliated they've no. made some things that were putting them in a certain class but they're not they're they're trying to be kind of down the middle 
But I do think we could see a big top 20 franchise brand that just says, heck with it. I'm going to embrace either side and then go for that half of the population. Interesting tidbit because there's no right answer to it, but it's just so darn fascinating to talk about. It sucks, (laughs) man. But again, you look at even, and again, I lived in Houston for many years. And it's funny to me, like how people think Texas is this like super deep red, you know, everyone's a cowboy with guns. Like, if you go into Houston, it, it's pretty blue. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's Democrat controlled. It's pretty. And then as you start moving out, the suburbs are red. And then you move out further, it's redder still. Like, it's just, um, when I see that kind of division um, and what's happened over the last couple of years, it feels like a matter of time before we see this happen. Yeah, to close the loop, though, I do think it's just a way to make a point of difference. You know, yep, it's a huge it. point of difference for your business. Yep. And then people are going to model it after like, dang it, look at what Black, Black Rifle Coffee did. That's I right. mean, they just went public. And the guys that, uh, that they founded that, they actually kind of live in this area the, yep. around the San Antonio region. And, you know, they cashed out with, with, a, with an eight, nine figure payday. Right? right. It was it was big for them. That's right. And they're just selling coffee. I That's mean, right. Come on. Coffee and T-shirts and, and other right. stuff. But you know, they put that spin on it. That's and right. it just hit a home run. And so I think you're going to see a lot of businesses copy that. I, you know, and here's what, in talking to you, it, it just occurred to me, like, it almost makes, even if I'm total left-wing, you know, Pelosi uh, contributor, if I think about especially property management, right, having a specific, like, military brand just makes so much sense because so many of them are renting because y'all are moving around all the time. Mm-hmm. Why don't we have, why doesn't one exist already? And that's already a national brand. Yeah. Surprising how it hasn't come up yet, but right. maybe we'll, Hey, maybe whoever's we'll listening to this, Rob, we're doing it. We're that's doing right. it. Whoever, whoever's listening to this, if you, are, if you're a veteran and you're in this business, maybe it's something you should really think about, you know, Black embracing that veteran owned yeah, devil dog property management. There you yeah, go. You know, exactly. I don't know. Well, Rob, this has been fantastic. We're right about an hour. I want to yep. you know, respect your time and get you out of here. So I wanted to say thank you for coming on. It's been, oh, no, thank again, you. I knew it would be a fascinating, fun conversation. <laughs> I think the listeners got a couple things out of it. Uh, I'll follow up with you about a, sure. a conference invite for sure. 2022 at the Red Rock Resort, pmmcon.com. Uh, go there and learn about you know, that conference and look forward to seeing you there. We get lots of fascinating speakers like Rob to come in and give us some just awesome stuff to think about and chew on. So again, Rob, appreciate it. Uh, give us a last little tidbit on how people can find you and, and research you and, and read more about what you're doing. Sure. Uh, my main blog is called the Notorious Rob, Notorious R-O-B. Uh, I've become notorious, but a big part is because when I started the website, I'm a huge fan of uh, Notorious B-I-G, the rapper, because I'm from New York. I got to represent the East side like that. Uh, let's see on Twitter. I'm on Twitter as at Rob Han. Um, and other than that, I, that's, I'm kind of around. Cool. So, and I really appreciate the invite, man. This, it's always so fun to talk to you. Appreciate it, man. Look forward to seeing you at the around campus Indeed. and we'll stay in touch. Indeed. Thanks. Are you tired of chasing tenants to comply with having renter's insurance? Insurance Management Group can solve this problem with a master tenant's insurance policy. Keep tenants in compliance with your lease agreement and help protect all parties involved. A master tenant's insurance policy can also add an additional revenue stream to your business. Contact Derek Scott at 918-728-8992 or visit imgadvisors.com. To learn more, listen to the Property Management Mastermind Show podcast, episode number 36. This has been a podcast episode by propertymanagementproductions.com. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast, leave us feedback, and come back for our next episode.